today on It's Time. And what does the Holy Spirit do inside of a believer's life? He empowers them to do things you, me, could never do on your own. It's time. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going verse by verse through the book of 2 Timothy. So, turn there in your Bibles as we join Pastor Mike. I think back of the songs because, you know, when you really start listening to Christian music and there's a lot of really uh, good, you know, the effect is it's got some really good uh, Christian headbanging stuff. If you like that, I like it. Um, never too old for that. But I think back of the words I learned in some of the songs in the words, mamas and the papas. Remember those guys? Well, we won't talk about how, how Mama Cass died, but, but the thing is, is that, is that we, we remember lots of time with nothing to do, lots of time to spend with you on Sunday morning. Really, I thought you should, probably should go to church on Sunday morning. But we were being programmed not to do anything on Sunday morning. We think about all the different things that we were told and understanding that it was all gearing us up to live for pleasure. But pleasure in serving yourself never satisfied. This was one of the problems. Paul the Apostle, when he went to Mars Hill, there was a bunch of philosophers there. I I call it probably the Saturday afternoon at Starbucks crowd. They sat around with nothing to do other than sip their lattes and talk about the meaning and the purpose of life. And there was two specific groups the Bible tells us. They were the Epicureans and the Stoics. Now, Epicureans are are kind of interesting group of people because they believe, and by the way, Epicurean and the Stoic philosophies of life are why the purpose we live. Now, I don't want to sound like a college teacher here, but the thing is, Epicureanism is basically life is for pleasure. The problem is with pleasure is whatever you do, if you do it long enough, it won't be pleasurable anymore. This is a problem, isn't it? In other words, the first time you do something, it's really a thrill. You know, and I, I've shared this before because I remember you meet the nicest people on a Honda, and it was speaking about a Honda 50. And they showed this college student with his books on the back and his dog, and he's driving down, and everybody's going, oh, you meet the nicest people on a Honda. Well, and when you first ride it, you go, oh, what a thrill. The first time somebody goes for a ride on a jet ski. Oh, and the hair's blowing. Well, the, maybe it is the hair blowing in your face. Wind blowing in your face, what hair you have left. Oh, this is wonderful. And then they come out with the bigger jet ski. And now you don't want that one. What once gave you so much pleasure, because that one only goes 30 miles an hour. This one goes 40 miles an hour. And so the more pleasure you have the more dissatisfied you become with it. Think about it for a minute. So pleasure, it's just the right amount of pleasure. 
Well, how do you know what the right amount of pleasure is so you won't get dissatisfied in the pleasure that you're having? This is why people say that marijuana, some of the, the, the lower forms of drug, the opiates and all that stuff, lead to harder things. Why? Because the thrill you once got with that is over. But that isn't just concerning drugs, friends. That's anything. If you got a car that goes 110, there's got to be one that goes 140. So the idea then is to continue to look for that which gives you the rush or the buzz. That's what I want. That's the Epicurean delight. That's what it's all about. Life is for pleasure. These guys were sitting up on the hill talking each other. Now, on the other hand, you have the Stoics. Now, the Stoics, probably best defined in the old Happy Days TV series, the Fonz, okay? Be cool. Nothing bothers me. Now, the only thing a Stoic, because they believe in, in the Stoic life that everything is predetermined. There's nothing you can do about it. Whatever will be, will be. Remember the old, who was that, Doris Day saying that? Whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Que sera, sera. Okay, you know the song. Maybe you don't. If you don't, Uh, we'll have a a memorabilia walking down rock and roll lane one of these days. Anyway, but the thing is, is that there's nothing you could do about it. Uh, Life will be whatever it is. If you're destined to be hit by a train, you're going to get hit by a train. The only thing you can do about it in the Stoic philosophy is change how you feel about getting hit by a train. So the thing is, that takes some of the worry off of me, knowing that I will meet a fateful end someday, whether it be a heart attack or being hit by a bus. But the one thing I can do is I can change the way I feel about getting hit by the bus. So you have the Epicureans saying, life is for pleasure. The Stoics say, you're going to get hit by a bus. Hope you like it. And these two would chide with each other. The Epicureans, this is one of the things. So Paul addresses this group of people, saying, you're both wrong. You see, life is for God. Life is about the king. And that's what he was saying. So the problem is, as we look at this, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And so the ideas of pleasure come in many different forms and, and, and packages And so we need to be aware of it. So sometimes when we share our faith with somebody, you may be talking basically to a Stoic mentality, or you may be talking to an Epicurean mentality. What lights your fire? What turns you on? All these different phraseologies that we have today help us better determine how we want to share the faith with somebody. Now, some people say, well, it doesn't matter. and, And you find this. You, you, you find this in, in some of the rock singers that go out and kill themselves because they find no purpose for living. They're in a stoic dead end. So he says, having lovers of pleasure rather than the lovers of God, having a form of godliness, 
Now, some of these people can have a form of godliness, but not deny its power from such people turn away. Now, I don't know personally whether it's talking about some of these people we just read about also having a form of godliness or just a group of people having a form of godliness and having no power in their life. What's the power of God in your life? That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what changes us from glory to glory. And and again, I don't believe we're ever the same when we read the Bible. Friends, whether it's in church, whether it's home, or study, uh, whatever it is, when you read the Word of God, it will change you because it will change the way you think. We are continually bombarded with worldly philosophy through whether it be commercials, whether it be the news, whether it be uh, our friends' thoughts, Songs on the radio, whether you listen to country western or whether you listen to... And country western, people say, well, I don't listen to rock and roll. I listen to country western. God loves country western music. Really? Have you listened to some of the words in the country western songs? You know, I, I mean, you, 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 uh, you see this, uh, you stomp on my heart and you mash that sucker flat. I mean, that's the words that you get. You know, my dog ran off and, you know, all these things. And there's, all these, there's even jokes. Well, if you backward mask a country western song, you, got, you get your job back. Your dog comes home. You know, your wife comes back. I don't know. But I can tell you this. We have a sick world. And if we don't understand the Word of God, to make it into something that they will be able to grasp. I really believe that's so important. You know, a lot of people wonder what makes a person an evangelist. Why why is it that Billy Graham can stand up and and lead thousands to Christ? Well, I believe a couple things. One, I believe that's an anointing of God. That's a calling that God gives. But God's called all of us to preach the gospel to every creature, friends. Whether we uh, do it in mass or whether we just do it on a phone or uh, hanging over a a back fence in your backyard to your neighbor. Uh, but the thing is, is that when we, I think sometimes we as Christians, if you've been a Christian any length of time, we kind of forget what it's like to be a worldly person. Uh, you, you, you forget what it's like to not have any hope. Uh, you, you're scared to death to die. And, and, and people lose track of that real easy. And when the Bible talks about in the last days, this is going to be the condition. It's going to be a me-focused generation of posers that aren't loyal to anybody. They lack natural affection. All they want to do is live for themselves. How do we then bring the message of the gospel to them? Now, one of the things in the 60s, late 60s, if you listen, to communicate the message of the gospel to the hippies, I was there. I know what it was like. And, and, and uh, what everybody was looking, looking for was love. You, you know, everybody, we're going to share everything. You know, everybody was hitchhiking. And yeah, the Volkswagen vans with the flowers painted all over them and all this kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, man, just get in. We're going, man. Where are you going? We're going to a concert. And we didn't know where we were going. We didn't know what we were doing. But we just, you know, every, free love. Hey, yeah, you know, whatever it is. That's what we were doing. Jesus comes along, and what is Jesus? He was love. He was purpose. He was kind. He was loving. And that's what everybody was looking for. Now, we got another challenge for us. We have a group of kids today that aren't looking for that. 
you know, they had the goth gang. Now, thank God that's kind of moved on. But it morphs into other things, you know, carrying dead rats in your pocket, wearing black, black lipstick, the whole let's look dead thing, you know. It's everything that Jesus isn't. But it's everything they need. You see, it's everything they need. They're in death. Jesus offers life. And if all you've known is death and hopelessness and broken homes and no mom and no dad and the only friends you have are the only family you've got, and that's what the attraction to the gangs across America is all about because these kids have no homes. What God calls us to do is be their family. I believe it's part of the changing role of the church, too. I believe God always has called us to love people, but it's how we love people. And so you see somebody that's alone. Sometimes it just pays to walk up. Yesterday, and uh, it was really strange, I, we went into one of the restaurants in town, and this lady looked at my little kids, and she broke into tears. And I, and I thought, this was really strange. She broke into tears, and she said, I had a miscarriage when I was younger and I just can't get over it. And she just began to weep. And I thought, how, how brokenhearted are the people that were around? And that God would give us that sensitive heart again and take us out of the me generation. The last thing we want to find ourselves is listed in any of these identifiers of the perilous times will come because we're in the last days. In other words, we don't want to be a traitor. We don't want to be haughty and high-minded. We don't want to portray something that we're not in this boastful thing, that boastful thing of, of, you know, trying to portray something that we're not by some type of wealth or a fake Gucci watch or whatever it might be. We want to be genuine to people. He says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power. You know, friends, we have a big lost world. And every day, you know, I host the call and talk show to every man and answer. And every day I see the calls line up, people with questions. And I love it because I'm so glad that we're able to reach out to people that need answers. And, and I realize that you don't have to be on a telephone to do that. You can just walk into a store and find people who are heartbroken over the things in their life. There is no relief outside of God. It tells us here, it says, they had a form of godliness, but denied the power of God. What is the power of God? I believe, friends, it's the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do inside of a believer's life? He empowers them to do things you, me, could never do on our own. Supernatural. You know, the Bible says at sundry times, the Holy Spirit empowered people in the Old Testament. We see the Moseses, we see the Elijahs, we see the, 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 the great men that God used. But the Bible says now God has imparted his Holy Spirit to everyone that will ask for it. I need that power of God. I need that wisdom that comes from God. I need to see God, I need to see the world the way God sees it. And you see, that's what changes us. See, for many years when I went to church, 
I would go out and do things for the Lord. Go, I used to go door to door with a youth group and different things like that. But it was never because I was genuinely concerned for the person on the other side of the screen. It was because I felt guilty if I did it. That's not the way God wants us to serve him. God wants us to serve him realizing how much God has done for you and me. And in turn, I can then go and be a voice. See, you know what you do when you read the Bible? Do you know what you do when you speak the Bible? You give God's word a mouth. It's incredible. That God's word becomes alive because we speak it. And you know what? God's word is power. You know, the the Hebrews actually believed in the Old Testament, those that truly knew God's word, they actually believed that the Bible was as alive as any living creature. And just because it didn't have corpuscles and veins didn't mean that it wasn't alive. But the Bible says it's alive and more powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Why is that? Because it can go into the problem. It can go and divide the, the flesh from the marrow. It knows exactly what it's doing. The Holy Spirit does. The power of God is the Spirit of God. They have a form of godliness, but they really don't know God because they've never been touched by God. I pray you have this morning. As we have communion, it's one of those things that Jesus gave us physically, tangibly to remember him by. He never told us to remember remember him by an 8 by 10 glossy in the back of the church or a bronze statue in the city park or some other thing. But he gave us a special dinner to remember him by. He says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Why? Because it represents his purpose for our life. First of all, the cup. The cup represents his blood that was shed for you. I pray it was shed for you. If you're not a Christian, you may know that Jesus died on the cross for you, but you've never really accepted his forgiveness for you. The Bible says the demons believe and tremble, but that doesn't mean they're born again. It's where you put all your faith, hope, and trust in him. That's what the blood's about. Jesus washed us. We're clean. Isn't that great to know? Wow, I'll tell you. You know, that, you know some people, when they go out and they do some sins, they go home and take a shower trying to wash that awful feeling off. Oh, the only thing that's going to wash that off is Jesus' blood. And so Jesus held up the cup and he said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. Covenant of the New Testament. Then he held up the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is, I think, friends, very significant because of this reason. In Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church that had a lot of things really goofed up. And they had, they had changed the communion supper into a drunken party. That's why Paul says, don't you have houses that you can eat and drink in? Why are you coming to church and, and corrupting this? And, and he goes on, he says, when you partake of, of communion unworthily, not, not that you are worthy, but that you're not recognizing the spiritual significance of communion. For this reason, many are sick and dead among you. Because of why? Because Peter tells us, by his stripes we're healed. It's the bread that was broken so we can be healed. Do you know what breaks people today? Do you know why you need to be healed? 
because of what has been done to you by others, what you have done to others. Your memories, your thoughts, your ability to love, your ability to be loved. You ever had that happen where you uh, might even date somebody and you always compare them to somebody else that you liked or loved a long time ago? Have you ever had your heart broken? See, all these things are what make us us. But if there's no maintenance going on in us, we will implode. And just like I talked to this lady yesterday, she said, it happened a long time ago and I just can't get over it. And I shared with her, I invited her to church and she might even be here, I don't know. But if you are, I don't mean to embarrass you or if you're listening. But the point is, is that there's much we can't get over in our life. You need God to help you, to cleanse your heart, to rebuild you. Once you are rebuilt, once your heart has been taken care of, once you've moved out of the self-focus of me, as we've just read about, I can be about my dad's business because I know he's got me under control. He's going to take care of everything I need so I can be free to reach out to others. Changes the whole way you live your life. This morning, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, I want you to consider a couple of things. If God is not cleansing you and restoring you and rebuilding you, as the Bible says he will do for his own children, it is not being done in your life. You may make attempts at it. You may go to your friends. Oh, yeah, it's going to be all right. You know, just go back in there. Just keep hanging in there. And you know that it isn't. I just want to invite you today to consider Jesus. Because he's the author, the finisher of our faith. He's the restorer of our souls. And when we have communion, the Bible says it reminds us of what he did for us. And then the bread is for our healing. We need to be healed. Maybe you say, well, I, I don't have a cold, Mike. I don't have any cancer or anything. Yeah, but you might have a broken heart. You may have a, a, a viewpoint of life that is jaded. You need, you need the bread. You need the bread of life. Jesus said, I was the bread of life that came down from heaven. And he likened himself to the manna that came down in the Old Testament in which kept the children of Israel alive as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. We need that bread. We need that nutrition. We need his touch. This morning, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, we're going to pray. And maybe something that was said out of God's word, maybe a, something that, that sparked the meisms in your life. You're going, yeah, I got this problem, and God, I, I, I need to get right with you. We're going to pray right now. And you can invite Jesus into your life. You see, God's a perfect gentleman. He will not force his way into your life. It says, as a matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. It's interesting that this church left Jesus out, but it's also interesting that we as human beings can leave Christ out of our life. And the Bible doesn't say, and behold, I stand at the door and kick it off its hinge. He says, I stand at the door and knock, waiting for us to open. That knock is the knock of the Holy Spirit saying, you need a change in your life. You're self-focused. Everything's about you, and you're not happy. You're like a Stoic. You're like an Epicurean. Everything's about pleasure. There's nothing I can do about it. Whatever it might be, God says, I want to move that out and make your life something that will last forever. This morning, if you've never prayed, receive Christ.
wherever you're at, in this room, across America, on the internet, wherever, we're going to pray right now. And you can ask Christ to come into your life. We're going to do that. It begins with the prayer that God will show you your whole life, his goodness. Let's, let's pray. Father, this morning, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I ask you to forgive me. I believe you died on the cross for me. Your blood washed away my past. So wash away my selfishness and the me-isms so I can live for you. Fill me now. Empower me with your Holy Spirit so I can do things far beyond that which I could ever do. Thank you for writing my name in your book of life. And thank you for letting me spend eternity with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on It's Time, as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening, and tune in next time for It's Time. It's Time.